Amen. Grab your seats. Um, today, we're going to move forward in the story time series to a different story in the Bible. Um, it is family day. If you don't know what that means, it means Grace Community Church turned 12 years old today. Um, 12 years old. And so we're celebrating God's goodness over the past 12 years and the thousands of people across the world, tens of thousands that we've seen accept Christ. And we're just thankful for that. And that's really what it's about. On that note, I want to say, if you were not signed up for this evangelism course that took place yesterday, the moment that they do it again, you need to get in. Would you agree? You were there, Chessa. I mean, it was great. I got to spend a few hours before I went out. Pastor Chris did an incredible job inspiring us to be a witness for God and, and to go share the story. And so uh, I know they're going to conclude that one in June. We'll probably launch another one sometime this summer or fall and get in there. I mean, sharing our faith should be the number one thing we do. Uh, I read an article just the other day on parenting for the brain. Um, it's on the website, Parenting for the Brain. So uh, I'm going to give you that, but I'm going to tell you right now that is not a religious website. So I do not endorse anything you find on there. But I was looking this up because I, I felt like God calling us to the family today. Now, you sit here and you might say, I'm single. You're still a family member, right? Uh, the most important family you'll ever belong to is the family of God. All right, that's the one you want to be in, and, and that's the one that sets things right, changes things, put things back in motion that Satan tried to take out of motion in your life. And so as we step into this today, we're going to hit all aspects of the family. I'm actually going to invite a few guests on the stage through my sermon today just to speak to you on some of the importance of it. I'm going to start with a, a swing, right? We're going to go to Joshua chapter number seven and talk about the story of Achan. And I know before you start saying, how does that have to do with the family? His whole family gets killed at the end of the story. It's a tragedy story, um, and, and, and it, it might not be something that you think brings a lot of hope, but we're going to grab applicable principles from Aiken's decisions, right? So we're going to look at that. Um, but before we do, can you, can you kind of mark these in your Bible? We're not going to go there. I'm not going to make you read these, but I want you to write this down for later reference, right? If you're a husband, you're a wife, you're a son, you're a daughter, all right, which all of us are one of those. You say, well, I'm not married. You're, you're still a son or daughter, right? Correct, all right? Um, and, or you have the children. There's something you're going to learn from here. Ephesians 5, ready? In Ephesians 5, at, at, towards the end of that chapter, we find where God starts saying, submit to one another, all right? The words you hear quoted most out of Ephesians 5 are wives submit to your husbands. But right before that verse is submit to one another. And then it goes through this progression of relationship. Now, chapter 6 of Ephesians was not added by Paul. When they interpreted Scripture into English and broke it down, they added these chapters. So you got to understand, this is a letter. So this would be a different paragraph. So there's no stop from submit yourselves one to another all the way through up to the armor of God in Ephesians 6. Do you understand that? You got this? So I think a lot of times we get to the end of the chapter and we think a new thought is beginning. It's not. It's continuing. And in Ephesians 6, it starts with children obey your parents. Right? So that's how it begins. Before that, it's uh, slaves is the word that's used, but it's talking about employees obey your masters, all right, the people paying you. So it's not the slavery we're uh, plagued by and haunted by in America as much as it's an employer-employee relationship. So let's get that in. You got that? So you see where he says, wives, do this with your husbands. Husband, do this with your life. Hey, slaves or workers, do this with your employer. Children, do this with your parents. This is subjection. This is submission. All right, we view submission wrong. Robbie, come up here and lay down real quick. I know that's a weird thing. I probably should have told you that when you got up here. We view submission because I don't know if anybody else, and please don't judge me. I, I watched wrestling before it is what it is today. Lay down. All right. Submission is a pin, a hold down, a tap out, or a referee count out. That's what we see as submission, right? But that's not biblical submission. Submission in the Bible is more like this. Me and you together, let's work together, let's go together, let's grow together, let's get the same idea, the same goal, the same focus, and let's work in that direction. That's submission. And we're supposed to submit to God that way. We're supposed to submit to each other that way. It, it, it doesn't mean my will above your will. It's, hey, think of others as better than yourself. Do to others as you would do to yourself. That's submission. How many of you got it? Say got it. All right, so you'll go to some churches that'll browbeat submission into the fact that the woman is to be weaker to the husband. But if you read down in Ephesians 5, that's not the case. You know what it is? It even says this about Jesus. Jesus, though he was equal with God, did not think it robbery, in other words, he didn't feel cheated, to have to submit to the will of God. 
All right, so he submitted himself, became a man, dealt with sin, and now is sit with God. I'm paraphrasing the scripture. You know what that's simply saying? Is God said, they cannot make it to heaven without us sending help. And Jesus, although he loved his father, wanted to stay with his father, is all about his father, rules in heaven, lives in heaven, and wanted to stay in heaven, said, okay, God, I'll submit so that we can accomplish the same goal, because just like God the Father loves you, God the Son loves you too. And so he says, let's do this together. So it did not, in Jesus' mind, say, I'm slighted to have to sacrifice my comfort, my security, and my, uh, my, my will and my desire to help other people. So submission says, I will do whatever it takes to accomplish the goals that God has set for us. Now, is that a cool version? Do you understand this? Do you get a good view of what submission is? It's not the world saying, I dominate you. It's coming together and saying, I need you, I notice you, I want you, I desire you, let's do this together. Does that make sense? All right, so with that in mind, let's look at this. Thank you. So in there, it does say, hey, wives, it it, it says submit to your husbands as you do to the Lord. To husbands, it says submit to your wives like Christ loves the church. Love her like Christ loves the church. And then it goes further and gave himself for her so that she could present it spotless, blameless, without any fault. So what it's saying is, hey, my submission towards my wife means I don't get to keep a record of wrongs. Matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians 13, it says love doesn't keep a record of wrong. All right, you with me? All right, now listen. I know that sometimes when we start talking this way, people kind of get shut down and, well, this is the way I've done it and this is the way I'm doing it. And that's probably why you have the problems you have. That's why I have the problems I have. I wrote a statement that's not going to be easy because it wasn't easy for me when God hit me with it. So here's literally what I wrote. For husbands, submission means love our wives like Christ loved the church. For wives, this means we love our husbands the way we love the Lord, like we love the Lord. For children, this means we obey our parents as believing their messengers from God. We're loving them so their days will be longer. And then I wrote this statement. So the problem with the American home, the submission in the home, points to one simple truth. We don't love God. That's it. Because if I love him, I love you. Now, I'm not saying we don't love God totally, but we probably don't love him the way we should. Because if we love God the way we should, then we're going to have grace and mercy in our home. We're going to have compassion in our home. Fathers, it says in Ephesians 6, you're not going to provoke your children to anger. You're not going to provoke them to wrath. You're not going to pick on them. You're not going to be sarcastic. You're not going to push them to the edge. You're not going to make it to where your wife has to be perfect. You don't set images. Men, it is totally wrong to have expectation of what she looks like, how she dresses, how she acts, and all those things. No, the Bible says that you are to love her the way she is, and in your love, she should be protected, because even when she falls, and she will, you're going to love her through it. Women, as we love the Lord, we, we love our husbands. It's a respect thing, and I'll promise you, the University of Washington followed couples for 20 years, 40 couples for 20 years. And you know what they found to be true is that if a husband feels respected and a wife feels valued, the home will be entirely successful. And they spent billions of dollars following these couples. And I wanted to scream when I read the article, you just should have read Ephesians 5 and saved your money. Because that's exactly what the Bible has taught us. If I look at her and I, I mean, guys, listen, your wife needs to know she's beautiful. She needs to know that you value what she does. She needs to know that you see the things that she's doing, that you need the things that she's doing, and that you don't want to live your life without her. You know, ladies, you know what your husbands need? They need you to treat them like they're an eight-year-old boy that just brought you a flower. That's all they need. (laughs) Am I right? I I, I got this illustration. I'm going to use it. I didn't plan on it. But uh, I was playing football with uh, the, the kids out back before we started our construction. This was years ago. And, and I had a little five-year-old playing on football because we let everybody play. But if they're five, I try to keep them close. So we were playing safety on defense. He was my guy. And I looked down, and he's standing there like this. I mean, he's ready. I'm, I'm kind of standing like this, like, don't make me run. But, he, you know, he's, he's ready. He's engaged. And all of a sudden, he stops. He stands up. He looks, and his head starts going crazy, and he chases a butterfly. He captures the butterfly, catches the butterfly, gets it in his hand, and with a huge smile on his face, goes running to his mom on the sideline. I'm like, what kind of football is this? He goes running over there. He opens it up. The butterfly is now crippled and wounded and in its last breath. It is dead. 
He, he presents this gift to his mom and his mom looks at him and says, oh my goodness, how beautiful. It's dead. It's like, it's dead. It is, it's like a murder scene. Like if this would have been a human, your son's going to jail. I mean, it's like, it is. And she, it's so beautiful. Oh, that means the world to me. And here came that little five-year-old with his chest out, back out to the field. And he stood beside me, a man ready to take on other men. And I realized that, you know, we call it the, he wanted her to see his muscles. You know, your man has not outgrown that and will never outgrow that. You say, I want him to grow up. If your man becomes a different version than the man that needs to see, that needs to, hey, a man needs to know that he's a provider. He needs to know that he's, he's somebody in your eyes that's a hero. I, I could be hated by the world. If my wife loves me, I can get through anything. Does that make sense? And so I tell him, you know, like, you, 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 you just got to kind of sometimes say, you got some good muscles. No, don't say that way, because you say that to me, I'm going to be like, yeah, you're lying. <laughs> you know, my wife is very good at this. She's not here, so let me brag on her. She, she's very good at sending me the texts that say, hey, you know, I got to go to the muse today with our kids, and I just wanted to say thank you for all your hard work. You know what that makes me want to do? Keep working. Yeah. You know what I really want to do other than those moments? Quit. Yeah. Anybody else thinking about retirement? And realizing that that is a fantasy 30 years out, 40 years, you know what I mean? Um, or you're just praying for Jesus to come back because your 401k is 401 done. <laughs> I checked out. You know, and it's like, we have those moments and it's like, it's so simple, but we make it so hard. You know, hey, we want to parent together, right? We want to raise our kids in the same direction, going for the same things. Looking towards Jesus. I read this on the Parenting for Brains said that a, a, a nurturing home will provide five things. And I'm not going to give all five of them to you. You can go check this out and I'll send you the article. But it was saying if you come from a home where parents are loving and affectionate, your relationships have a 95% better chance of survival in your later future. It also says that you have a, a higher mental development rate. That you'll be smarter just from a functional family. All right, so if you ever think I'm dumb, that's why. All right, so you'll be smarter just from a functional family. That you'll have resilience and emotional stability just from a functional family. Um, I, 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 try, I try to brag on my kids constantly. Anybody else do that? Like I, I try to build them up constantly and, and tell them how good they are. They're like you're going to spoil them. No, I'm, I just want them to know that they are loved. They, and listen, they said this. If a child ever experiences unconditional love, that child is more likely to change the world than a children who go through competitive love. Yeah. Meaning I have to earn it or I have to be good enough. And I thought to myself, we have unconditional love that comes from an unconditional father, and that is the one thing that would change the world. And they're admitting it on secular lifestyles and secular worlds and secular websites that if we just experienced unconditional love in our lives, it would radically change us. And by the way, that's why you need a perfect father, and God's the only one. But the truth is, is we can echo that, right? So I want you for a second, before we dive into our story of Aiken, to welcome two people uh, to the stage. Actually, Brady, it looks like it's you. All right, come on up, man. This is Richard Brady. He goes by Sam Brady, all kinds of different other names. Come on up. Join me if you would. I asked them to do this, and I'm going to ask him a few questions. Marilyn with you today? or she's Okay, she's injured, so be praying for Marilyn. He and his wife are some of the sweetest people you'll ever meet in your life. They're big influences in my life, and I'm thankful for them. I'm going to hand you this, and I'll just come over here. Let's ask a couple questions. Karen was going to join us, but she woke up sick this morning too. Um, I, I want him, just for a moment, I'm going, to, I'm going to give you a pointer question. He has not been prepped for this, all right? So and the only prep he has is, I want you to come on stage. So number one, I want this raw and real, okay? In your opinion, all right, in your opinion, what is the most important thing you could say to parents who have children still in their home? Just every day, show them you love them. Not just tell them, but show them. You don't know what life is going to bring. It's too late when a regret happens in your heart that you can't go back you can say you're sorry. You can show you're sorry. But there's always a chance that you may not get that opportunity. 
What is the, uh, what is the thing that you would tell your parent, uh, the parents that their kids need to hear? What do they need to hear out of their mouths? That no matter what they do, what they say, what they are, that you love them. Without question, without second thought, that you love them. What's the one thing we take for granted as parents? The one thing we take for granted as parents? Time. Time. 95% of the time you'll spend with your child, I heard this at a, at a, a conference, 95% of the time you'll get with your child in person happens up to 18 years old. The rest of their life you get 5% in person time. If that. If that. So I wanted him to come up and talk to you a little bit about the importance of kids because they have been through hell on earth. Um, 2017? December 16th. December 16th. You want to tell? My son passed away from a heart attack. Well, actually it was a blood clot caused by a heart attack. I was at work. My wife was at home. I worked evening shift at that time. And she called me literally screaming. I could hardly understand her. Saying that there was something wrong with our son, Mackenzie. And by the time I left work, which I, I worked at a juvenile correctional facility, I threw my keys, I was a supervisor, I threw the keys to the oncoming shift supervisor who was standing with me and we were doing our pass down. I was 20 miles from home. I made it home in 12 minutes. In time to see my son being taken out in an ambulance, unconscious, unresponsive, and taken to the hospital where they pronounced him dead. Even though I never got to physically tell him in the last moments of his life that I loved him, you know what I did that day before I went to work? I hugged him. And I told him I loved him. even though I will never have that opportunity again. I know that he knew that. My wife, same way. Every time we would see him or each other, before I go to work, I tell her I love her. Because you never know. Time is something you can't predict. How old was he? He just had his 20th birthday. And that's their only son. And so um, <clears throat> we've walked through this journey pretty much, that met you probably maybe almost a year later. Right, right shortly after that is when we met. And uh, they have poured into our teenagers in unique ways and and love beyond it, but there's a lot of hurt that comes from this. So I'm going to ask you a real question. I know your wife, if she was here, would tackle this one, all right? So I'm, I'm going to let you do it. Um, what's the number one thing that you see in other parents that frustrates you? And hey, don't edit it. Be real and raw. Just let it out. What's the number one thing that frustrates you? The fact that people take for granted their time with their children. You give up when people come home and they're too tired to deal with a child, a spouse. That's time that you can never get back when that child looks up at you and it's just you're the joy of their life when they're small. And as time progresses, you become less and less to them. And that's something you can never get back. 
if you don't take the time to spend with your children, to show them you love them, to tell them you love them, and engage with them, and show them how to love it, you'll regret it. It's something that as they become adults will reflect in their life. My parents stayed married their entire life. They were married going on 65 years. I lost both of them within 30 days of each other. And I honestly think my dad died from a broken heart. My mom passed away 30 days before my father. And when I told him in the hospital that his wife had passed away, he told me his reason for being on this earth was gone. But he also said in that same breath that he loved me. And I never took for granted any of the time I spent with my parents or they spent with me. And I try to, to do the same with my child and my wife who can't be here today. She's injured her foot. It's time you can't get back. Make it count. Make it count. Make it count. Show the love that you have in your heart. Show it. If it can't be seen and if it's not known to the people that's immediately near you, you're wasting your life. And you will regret it. The number one sentence of that article that I've been referencing said, the most important and powerful connection or thing on the planet is a family and a family that works together and comes together creates an atmosphere of change and an atmosphere of opportunity and I hope you're okay can you give Richard a hand today and, and uh, just pray for him and give you a hug bro. Uh, I know there's many Betty how old was your son 31. Karen, who's not here, lost hers. Anybody else lost a child? They're all around here. Um, one of the cruelest things in the world is for a parent to outlive a child, right? But in there, I think it's important. I could stand here and say the importance of your kids, but I still have my kids, right? And, and I have that opportunity. I told my wife, I, I, I went home and I said, I think it's more powerful if we can get someone that stands up here and says, I'd give anything to have the opportunity back. I'd give anything to, to be able to have that, but that's not the case for you. If you're not in that situation, you have that opportunity. And even if you are in the situation, one thing that I love about he and his wife, one thing I love about Betty, who, by the way, I call my mom, you know, like that's my mom. And if you, if you think that's offensive towards my mom, she's been more of a mom to me than my mom ever could be. And I thank God for bringing her into my life. But I know this to be true, like he and his wife, work on their relationship constantly. Um, and, and there's a lot of grief and a lot of hurt. One of the things that they've started doing therapeutically is rebuilding Lego sets because that's something they did for their son on Christmas Eve every, every year. And, and they built that and they gave it away to one of our teenagers. And, and, and they're building another set right now to give away to another. And they're trying to inspire this movement of the here, the now is all you're guaranteed. This moment is all you have. And so if we're going to talk about families, let's talk about the fragileness of families. Let's talk about a plus 70% divorce rate in Christians. Let's talk about death rates that are happening and, and teenage suicide that's growing. And you say, are you trying to scare us? No, I think we just need to be woken up to the reality that what we assume will be there tomorrow may not be. And what we assume is going to last may not be the case. So whatever grudge you're holding today, whatever is so big that you won't let go, it is not worth it. Because there'll come a day that you can't change it. There'll come a day, we, DJ and I months ago had a conversation over someone who lost their dad and was very estranged to their dad. And my first comment to him was, 
is that person okay because now their grief is going to be set. Now the regret's going to come up. Now the I wish I would have. And Satan loves to whisper those words. If you'd have done more, been more. I heard Brady, he comes to our, our Monday night classes, and he said, had I been standing by my son when it happened, there's nothing I could have done. But in your mind, is there still moments that you think I could have done more? Yes. Can I tell you this? I do believe one day we'll stand before God. And while we're talking about our earthly family and our earthly connections that do matter and make them count and pour into them, love your husband, love your wife, no grief, no grudge, no bitterness is worth missing out on the relationship. One day we will stand before God and we will realize that the thing that mattered most was relationships. And the thing that matters the most on the planet is the relationship you and I have with our heavenly family, our heavenly father. And I do believe that we will want to have told more people about Jesus Christ. We would have wanted to, to evangelize a little bit more, to go a little bit further, to be a little bit more than we are today. Every time I'm around that family, every time I'm with Betty, every time I'm with Karen and others that have experienced these things, I, I'm inspired. And I, I heard Marilyn one time, she came to me and she said she heard a mom on the phone at work complaining about the kids. And it was everything she could do to stay in her seat and not walk up to that woman and say what you're complaining about, I wish I had. And I'm looking at this today and I'm thinking to ourselves, I think America has grown a culture of entitlement, a culture of we deserve this, we deserve more, I want more, I want to be more, that we have lost our contentment with what we have. We have lost the meaningfulness of what we have right here. Why do we do this? I think our church has invested and people individually have come beside to invest with it. So I don't want you to sit here and say, why is the church spending this money? But I, I, I will say that I believe cookouts and things like that are very important because you need to spend time with your family. I believe the church needs to gather. The Bible says in Acts 2, they met in each other's house. They broke bread. They shared meals. They gave of their goods. They sold things that they didn't need and gave to the poor. They were caring about each other. I think the world is getting worse. I don't know that I have to convince you of that. I think if you got eyes open and a brain that's working, you can see that for yourself. Pain and hate, resentment and bitterness, insecurity is running rampant in our society. People around us hate themselves. People around us hate each other. People around us have no joy. They have no happiness. They have no contentment. And in that, I think it's because we do not have strong family system in America, in our world, and it needs to change. I've been in other cultures. I've been in other countries. I've been in places to where eye contact still exists. To where playing with a ball is the biggest thing the community can do. I've been in Jamaica where kids that are poor are running around goats to play soccer. And I've been in the Philippines to where they have a stick and it's a good time. I remember going with Robert um, Hammock who goes to our church. I think his wife's here. I saw her. Um, I, I, I remember going with him uh, for the first time to a foreign country. We went to the Philippines and when we got there we were blown away by the kindness Everybody looked at us. Everybody smiled at us. It, it, was, it was as if we were in a place that was rewound to where no technology exists and all that we had was each other and they just wanted to spend time together and for hours you would sit and talk. For hours you would sit and sing. For hours they wanted to hear about Jesus Christ and nothing else mattered. I remember when we landed back in Atlanta, got off the plane, uh, Robert was walking around like Eeyore with his shoulders hung down and all mopey and he looked at me and he said, I guess we're normal again. And I thought to myself, as I looked around that airport and every head was like this, looking down or into something or on the move or mad because this person's walking and I'm in a hurry, driving as if everything's crazy and about them. And all of a sudden I look at our, our society and I think to myself, something's missing here. Something's broken here. And I realized, and it's hit me very deeply and very hard. Satan hates family. He hates marriage. He hates parenting. He hates churches. He hates communities. 
And I promise you this, maybe you can echo this. If it's not good at home, nothing else matters. Anybody say amen to that? If, if things are broken at home, it's hard to function at work. It's hard to keep a focus. It's hard to go forward. And Paul saw that so well in Ephesians that he wrote two chapters dedicated to it. And as he got to the end of the passage that he wrote on being someone that is entitled to be focused on submission in relationships, he wrote, get your armor on. And as we look at that in context, We've got to realize that he's saying, if we're going to be the family of God, Ephesians chapter 4 talks about the church and relationship. And how maturity is as we grow more and more in love like Jesus Christ. As we come closer together and maturity and we're not blown by every wind of doctrine that tosses us about. But instead we're loving each other. We're caring for each other and we're growing. Then it goes to the family. Then it goes to this. I I found this to be true. It amazes me if we look at Ephesians 4. Paul realized that the good family of Ephesians 5 and Ephesians 6 starts with a family willing to go to church in Ephesians 4. And I'm not talking about just go sit in a pew, but to develop the relationship with God more than they developed it anywhere. And that's how we can't submit in Ephesians 5. It's because we've not gone through Ephesians 4, where we take off the old and we put on the new and we get together and we say, you matter to me and I matter to you and you matter to God and I matter to God. So let's get the family of God what it needs to be so that the family in our homes can become what they should be. I think it's time we rally that. I think it's time we make that matter. And I'm not calling on more church attendance. I'm not calling on more small group attendance. I'm calling on moms and dads, husbands and wives, singles to get the word of God in their lives and become a living translation of it. Walk it, talk it, share it, be it, and watch God grow healthy, strong, lasting relationships in our lives. And if we're going to get there, I think we first got to get on our knees. And we got to say, okay, God, change me. Okay, God, nurture me. Okay, God, move me. God, rally us to care about my relationship with you. Because I don't know if anybody else can testify to this today. Absent my relationship with him, my relationship with my family is trash. But when me and him are good, I see my wife and children through different eyes. I see a lost and broken world in a different way. I have a little bit more grace and mercy in my heart. A little bit more remembrance of the forgiveness I've needed. A little bit more understanding that, that, that what matters most in this moment is not how I feel, but the will of God. Not my opinion, but God's nurture being there. I'm not the perfect parent. I have to watch snapping at my kids. I have to watch the, when my daughter comes up and says, can you play with me? acting and feeling as if I'm too busy to do it. I got so convicted in second service last week that I literally had to stop the sermon. How many of you were in second service last week? I literally had to stop the sermon. As, as I got to this place where I said, where did we believe that our success came from ourselves? Everything we have has been given to us from God. And why are we not leaning on his provision? And I realized that I have invested way too much in leads. And all of a sudden God convicted me and it so paralyzed me in the moment that God literally said in my heart, you cannot finish the sermon till you get this right. And so I left, and my brother-in-law, we went out uh, on a double date Friday night, thanks to Miss Corey, and as we were out on that date, my brother-in-law looked at me, and he said, did you really actually give up leads? And I said, I went home, and I immediately set it up, and the next day called my agent and said, let's get it done. Because I really believe that as we're going towards the end times, and I believe we're in them, I don't have the accurate prediction. Nobody knows, and if anybody tells you that they know, they're lying. But I believe Jesus is coming back, whether it is in my lifetime or not. He's still coming back. There's no stopping that. I believe the world is going to end and there's no stopping that. But if it is in my lifetime, I don't want to get to that moment and realize that I didn't spend the time up to that moment preparing for it. And the best thing I believe that we can do is is to set loving examples in front of our kids. To show that struggle still happens, but God's still good. That things get difficult, but God's still faithful. We get pressed, but we ain't crushed. Isn't that what Paul said? We get dropped, knocked down, but we are not destroyed. That some days we don't know how we're going to keep the electricity on. Anybody say amen to that? 
Some days we don't know how to pay that. That's not a failure as a parent. Keep getting up. Keep going to work. Keep doing your best. You say, well, I'm always falling short. Then let's get with Omar. Let's get with some other counseling and financial advisors. Let's find out how to live in the money you have because God is not setting you up for failure. And if financially you're failing, then let's see where you got in and push God out. Let's test the faith. Let's test the waters. Hey, I I am parenting a very strong-willed child. Anybody got one of those? Yeah. Anybody actually one of those? Yeah, all right, there's, all right, there's a few. You know what I've learned? I can't do this on my own. And sometimes I want to get frustrated, but I'm nurturing a forever being. What a, what a responsibility. Aren't you thankful you weren't Joseph or Mary? Nurturing the Son of God? Imagine the pressure. We were watching a music competition, and uh, every now and then on this music competition, they'll bring in a famous person to sing. And Jordan made the statement, can you imagine how intimidating it would be to be the person that's famous standing on a stage where you've just heard people that are better than you? I was like, whoa. And one of the singers right after she said it said, it is so nerve-wracking because some of these people can really, really sing, and here I am. You know, I think sometimes we realize and we see that God has put us in a league that we did not think we could play in. God has put us in parenting situations and we're like, God, did you really think I could handle this? Did you really think I can do this? But what a blessing to be able to parent. What a blessing to be able to love. What a blessing to be in a relationship with somebody today. Amen. And you say, well, my relationship's not good. Okay, I get that. And my heart breaks for you. And some of you, I know that to be the truth. And we pray for you. We pray for you daily. I do not lie about that. You come to our mind often, and we, every time you come to mind, take you to the Father, because we do not have the answers for you, but I do know this. Do not seek your strongest connection with any human being. Make sure your strongest connection is at the throne of God. Make sure your strongest connection, the one you're turning to the most, is in your personal walk with a God that loves you, that will never forsake you, never leave you, never abandon you. I have not got to the story of Achan yet, and I, I did not intend to go here. I literally wrote three sentences in my note, and here we are. I don't know why. I, I, I had a lady after the second service come up to me, and she asked me. She literally stood down here, and she said, I need to know one thing. Did you say that about your leads in the first service last week? And Today. It was last week when she said it. I said, absolutely not. She said, then that confirms that it was for me. Thank you. I'm paying for a studio that I don't even use, and I need to let it go. Then uh, Wednesday night, she met me outside and she said, you know what? I went and called them, told them I was going to let it go. They gave me a discount. I was tempted to stay. Then I told them I wasn't going to do it because I felt God telling me freedom. And then they said, what price do you want to pay? And I looked at her and I'm going to tell you what I heard Rick Warren once say in a sermon. Never doubt in the dark what God showed you in the light. If it was true and made sense, stand on it. Even if other options come up. Even if other opportunities present itself. And I think we're parenting and we're raising families and we're trying to grow relationships and we're dating and we're doing these things in a world right now where the world has lost of what it actually means to love someone. The, love has, the world has lost an identity of what relationship actually is. And, and, and we're looking for who we are in somebody else. We're looking for what we are in the eyes and the opinions of someone else. We're looking for our validation. We're looking for our identity. We're looking at our history and saying this is all we could be. We're looking at where we've come from and we believe that's what we deserve. And we have a God in heaven that's saying, I got better. I know better. I'm taking you better. I got more. I want more. I'll give you more. I have a plan. Please follow it. And if you want to go do the Bible study of Achan, I'm not going to dive into the whole story because I don't believe God wants me to do it. But Achan screams of what happens to a family when we don't follow God's plan. Little paraphrase of it, Joshua chapter 7, you find where they're going into Jericho in chapter number 6, and God says, you're going to walk around these walls, you're going to praise, and by the way, there's a whole sermon in that, you're not going to pick up a weapon, you're not going to throw a stone at a gate, you're not going to knock on a wall, you're just going to praise God as you walk. And at the end of it, you're going to give it a shout. I'll tell you this right now. You know what would change the dynamic of your home? Start praising the Lord and each other in the home, and Satan hates it. You bring the praise of God into the presence of a demon and it will tremble, it will flee. 
Praise is a weapon. Say that with me, ready? Praise is a weapon. How often are you using it? How often are you hearing kids hearing good job? How often are they hearing, I'm proud of you? Hey, you didn't hit the game winning shot, but you had the courage to take it. And I'm very proud that you took it. And it's okay that you lost. Now let's go practice the shot so that the next time you take it, you got a little bit more confidence. Instead of saying, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you, you, that, that, that. no, 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 no. Hey, hey, here it is. Hey, you're not perfect. Remember that. So stop expecting perfection from your offspring. You created them. You didn't design them, God did. But you gave life in, in the decisions. Come on now. And the reality is, is we look at them and we expect them to be what we've never been. We expect them to never make mistakes when if I were to go look at some of our high school rap sheets that are represented in this room, we are a bunch of messed up adults acting like it never happened. Am I right? How many of you were rebellious teenagers? Raise your hand. Hold it high. Kids, look around. Hold it high. All right. How many of you, that dude had two hands straight up in the air. He's like, me, me. I would ask if you're still rebellious, but we can change that, right? Like, let's get to Jesus Christ. Let him work on you. But the thing is, is we look at our kids and we're like, you're not going to have sex outside of marriage. It's just not allowed without telling them that the reason they don't need to do that is because you did that and it royally messed you up. You say, well, I don't want them to know what I've been through. Are you kidding me? The whole Old Testament is God letting us know what people went through because they didn't obey God. And the whole Old Testament is showing what God will do with people that don't obey. He'll still pursue them and love them and give them chances. He'll still bring grace. He'll still bring mercy. He'll still give opportunity. Hey, the whole Bible is written on everybody's a mistake and makes mistakes and does these things. You're not a mistake, but you make them. And God sent his son to make right the wrong. You know what a parent does? A parent says, not only have you messed up, but I will shield you. From what you deserve. I'll love you through this. I've shared the story many times of the mom who sat in a Monday night class and said, my friends keep telling me I'm doing too much. How long should I hold out? How long should I believe in my son? How long should I keep trying? And we told her, never stop. We know there's a difference in enabling and we'll give you coaching tips on how not to enable drug habits. But we say this and I'll say it to the day you die. Never stop believing of what the power of a mighty God and a Holy Spirit can do in the heart of your child if you simply had one encounter it would change everything never stop believing what the spirit of a mighty god can do in your marriage you say you have no idea what you've been through i don't know your story but i'm gonna tell you this i put my wife through hell on earth and she's still my wife why because she knew god more than she knew me and when she got to know god she could love me even the stranger version of me that she didn't know existed and today we can still have a marriage because god God is still on his throne. And the thing is this, you can't convince me. You can't come at me and say, well, once this always says no, because I defy that by the name of the living God of Jesus. I defy that and stand here as a proof that statistics are man's guesses at what should happen. But in the hands of God, the supernatural can happen. And if that's the case, you say, well, I, I'm broken. I'm so sorry. I'm hurting and I'm tired. I'm so sorry. But those that wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They'll run. They won't grow weary. I mean, it doesn't even say you're going to be like youth. You'll mount up on wings like eagles in your sword. In our overcoming grief class that we have Mondays at 6, week 3 of that class is always on the question of why. And how why is not... An unbiblical question, you have a right to ask God why. Why just doesn't often bring healing. It's not often beneficial. The why still has to be followed with not my will, but yours be done, God. The why still has to be followed with a provision of, hey, God, I am going to submit to you. Because life isn't easy, is it? If you're single in the room and love it, say Amen. If you're single in the room and you hate it, say, God, give me one. 
Yay, I was waiting on you, Corey. I was waiting. All right, who else? Come on, Casey. All right, anybody else in here just throw a hand up and say, yes, Lord, I agree. All right, there they are, okay. If you're married in the room or you're dating in the room and it's a little bit difficult, how many of you say, yes, I, I see that. So maybe it's not God, give me one, it's God, give me grace. Give me patience, give me peace. The Bible doesn't say I'll keep in perfect peace all whose mind is fixed on solution, finding answers. He says I'll keep in perfect peace all whose minds are fixed on me. So sometimes you got to look at God more than you're looking at your spouse and your children, right? You got to look at God more than you're looking at you. Because it can get really messed up in here very fast. But there's a healer of this. There's a leader of this. Achan made a choice, I believe, out of desperation. God said, when you go into Jericho, don't take any of the possessions of it. Don't touch it. But Achan went in. And if you look, and we'll read this real quick, in, in chapter number 7, verse number 20, Achan replied, it's true, I've sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel, among the plunder." I saw a beautiful robe from Babylon. Babylon, one of the most beautiful cities and richest cities that's ever been existed. 200 silver coins, which is a lot of money. And a gold bar that weighed more than a pound. That's still a lot of money today. I wanted them so much that I took them. What a word. They are hidden in the ground beneath my tent. With the silver buried deeper. And the rest. You know what Achan said? I've been a slave for all these years. I've spent at least 40 years walking around a wilderness, eating food off the ground, manna. We had dust sandwiches for breakfast and lunch and dinner. I'm dirty because it's sand and it's nasty. I live in a tent because we can't build a foundation because we don't know where home is. I'm broken and I'm scared and I saw something that was better than what I have. I saw something that I thought could get my family ahead. I saw something that I thought could better me and I thought I had to have it and I took it. I'm going to tell you this right now. There is a worldly version of easy parenting to where we just let tablets and the world and our schools educate. And I'm not against education. Math, history, science, those are good things. Would you agree? English, it's a good thing. Maybe even a foreign language, that'd be a good thing. But I'm not going to let a school educate my kids spiritually when they won't let God in the door. I'm not going to sit back and say, okay, I trust them with complete education. No, I still got to teach one plus one in my house, even if it's being taught at a school. Matter of fact, you'll help the kid by, by helping the teacher. Any teachers in the house say amen to that. Yeah. But I'm not going to trust that eight hours a day, they're getting everything they need. I can't let them come home and just veg out. You say, but it's hard and it's tiring. Yes, it is, but it's worth it. Because we're building future warriors of the kingdom of God. We're raising the next generation of moms and dads. I told our kids just a couple weeks ago at youth, in Joshua chapter 5, two chapters before this, Joshua looks at them and echoes a message that God had said that he would raise the kids in their father's place to do what their fathers didn't do. And I'm sitting here thinking, I have a reputation in my life that I'm going to raise my kids not to have. And I have decisions in my life that I'm going to be honest in front of my kids so that they don't make those decisions too. I've been through heartbreak. I've been through hurt. I've been through abuse. My kids will not know what an angry fist feels like upside their head. My kids will not know what it looks like to see their mom beaten by their dad. They will not know what it looks like to see their mom cussing out their dad. They will not go through those things. Why? We've made a decision that this generation in the Moore family is going to be different than the generations before. And we're praying that prayer that God would raise our kids up to do what we cannot even do. 
But that doesn't naturally happen. It takes an intentionality. It takes a focus. It takes a drive. It takes people willing to obey God no matter what. It takes people willing to follow God no matter what. It takes people willing to trust God even when it doesn't make sense. And we need some moms and dads that say, let's bring a little more submission into our home. But in four, I'm going to ask my home to submit with me. I'm going to submit myself to God first. I'm going to let him be the one that leads, guide, and direct. If God allows, we'll teach the story of Achan at 11. If he doesn't allow, then we'll see what God does. The truth is this. I I know in my life that sometimes God writes a sermon for the world. Sometimes he writes it for me. And I'm just going to trust what the Holy Spirit's going to do. I believe we've got to get back to a place in our lives where we determine as individuals that a relationship with God matters most. In the words of Richard Brady, that just stood on the stage, don't take for granted the time you have. It's not guaranteed. You know what that means? These relationships aren't guaranteed. But I'm not guaranteed to have an opportunity to get my life right before I stand before my father. I might be standing before him a lot sooner than I think. So I need to make sure, number one, I'm saved and I've got that settled. But number two, that I'm living my life. I'm surrendering my life. I'm not going to wake up one day and and realize that alcohol took away my kid's childhood. I'm not going to wake up one day and realize that drugs separated me from my kids. You say, well, I'm there. I'm, I'm already experiencing these things. It can change in a decision, a decision. Matter of fact, I wrote a quote today. Today's seeds grow tomorrow's crops. What are you willing to plant right now? You say, well, I don't like the garden I have. Plant something different. How many of you like okra? I love it. How many of you hate okra? How many of you even know what okra is? (laughs) All right, anybody say, I don't know? You know how foolish it would be if you hated okra to have a garden full of okra? Going out there, I don't even know. Do you pick it? Okay, you cut it. All right, see? I just eat it. How you'd be out there cutting it saying, I hate this stuff, I hate this stuff, I hate this stuff. Like, why is this? I cannot stand it. This stuff's nasty. And if I were with you, I would look at you and say, then, then why'd you plant it? If you hated it so much, why'd you plant it? What do you like? Somebody, somebody just shout out a vegetable. Let's go. What do you, cucumbers. Anybody else in that family? Say yes. Anybody else feel like eating watermelons, like taking a drink? Yes. It's juicy. Whoever asked why. I don't like eating the watermelon, but you know what I like to do? I like to squeeze it while it's still in there, just smash it out and then drink it. Anybody else like that? Man. I, I met a guy yesterday. He was a, he was a, he was a interesting character. He showed up, he got out of the truck and don't know this guy. And I said to him, I said, uh, said, hey, man, how you doing? I wish I didn't know what I know. That's what he said. I was like, oh, no. I was like, I'm not asking him. I'm not asking him what he knows. I'm asking him about his day. How's your day going? I just wish I didn't know what I know. On October the 3rd, 2024, we're going to have an anomaly, and it's going to mess us up. And for 30 five minutes. I heard about NASA and the UN and how Neptune is going to be in line with the sun and all these other things. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, God, I knew I shouldn't have left the evangelism class to do real estate. I should have stayed there. And now this is my punishment. You know, I'm like, um, it went on and on about how the end, the end, the end, the end, the end. And I wanted to say to him, buddy, you, you got one thing right and one thing wrong. The end is coming, but it's not a NASA event. It's a God-making-things-right event. And I wanted to look at him and say, let's, let's talk about something else. I eventually did look at him and say, hey, right now you're on my client's time. And while I love talking to you, I'm robbing my client of what he's hired me to do today. And I'm here to do an open house. So I'm going to give him my time. 
and I'll come by your house when I leave here. I wanted to look at him and say, listen, that's, that's not what matters. What matters is your soul. What matters is Christ. And so when I went to his house, I did drop this bomb. He said, uh, you know, what are you going to do? I'm prepared. He said, I got a $20 thing in there that'll take every bit of iron and nickel and all this out of your skin. Do you want me to use it on you? And I'm like, you are not touching me. All right. Like that is not happening. But I told him, I said, listen, I think the thing we need to worry about most is the moment we're going to stand before Jesus Christ and give an account for the way we lived our life. Have you settled that question in your life? To which the conversation abruptly ended. And I thought to myself, if he would only go to Christ, all these things that are scaring him are still scary. But there's a little bit of hope and peace that things can be better. I'm going to say this to you, and I want you to echo this and grab this and pull this into your heart. I think today, if we're not careful, we'll plant the seeds of tomorrow and what we want tomorrow. And if I grow my business and if I work harder and if I get this promotion and if I finish this degree, then I'll be able to give to my family. And what we need to plant right now is God make me available here. And I I wrote this. I mean, if we believe that God will position us, that means that God's going to position you. So be content where you're at. If we believe that God's going to provide for us, that means we believe God's going to meet our needs. So go ahead and trust them with what you have. If you believe that God will protect you and guard, then you know that God will guard his plan, your heart, your future. So go ahead and surrender everything. And if you believe that God has a purpose for your life, that means that God will use your life. So just be available. And I believe the best thing we could do for your family today is say, get out of tomorrow and get into today and be surrendered to God where you are today and enjoy what God wants to do in your life today. Be thankful for what you have. Be content with what he's given you. Trust him with everything that he's gave you and know that God wants to use your life. And so when you go home, give your family your best. When you go to church, give God your best. Give everybody your best. I'm not saying what you wear. I'm saying in what you give from your heart to each other. Hey, we need to call families back to an intentionality and say, this matters most. Your relationship with God, Him, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and your relationship with each other. So rise up. Don't think you got to take from the world to provide from your family because what the world has to offer you, Aiken would stand here and scream and say, it took my family away. Don't think that you've got to trust your own plan and your ability because Aiken would stand here and say today that my plan ruined everything. Don't think that you're the provider. Don't think that you're in control. Your decisions will impact you, your family, and others. Your decisions will make either uh, families be at risk or be in a safe place. The decisions you make today to serve the Lord will set your kids up to know the Lord or will drive your kids away from the Lord. The decisions that you are making matter, so make the decisions count. Your life is going to have an impact. But you and I get to decide what kind of impact it's going to be. So we come back to one little word. Submit. I want to submit my life to the will of God. Anybody say me too. Slip a hand up in the air. Me too. I want to submit my life to grow in the family of God. Anybody say me too. I want to submit my life to rescuing the family members of God that have fallen into orphanages that should be in his family. Let's go get them readopted through the Holy Spirit. That's called, let's go share Jesus. Anybody say me too? I want to be the husband that God's called me to be. Any husbands in here say me too? Do you want to be the wife that God's called you to be? Say me too. Children, do you want to be the kids that God's called you to be so that your life will be blessed and your days will be long? You know what that means? Abundance. If that's you, say yes. I want to be honoring to God in the way I treat my parents. Say me too. By the way, I can tell how much you honor God by the way you treat your parents. I can tell how much you love God by the way you treat your husband. You can tell how much I love God by the way I treat my wife. The proof isn't in how I treat you as much as it's in how I love them. And so let's get home, deal with this first, this next, and then we'll be ready 
to reach a lost and dying world. We need strong Christian families now more than ever. Submit. Go in God's way, in God's plan, in God's timing with the people that God has put you in life with. I love the mother-daughter relationships, how tight and strong they are. I love the kids crawling up the stairs in the middle of a service. I was, if he got all the way to the top, I was going to give him a microphone and say, what, what's the Holy Spirit saying, bro? I love the row of teenagers and Tammy and Natalia, right, that are growing into this music lovers that want to worship God. I love seeing the people saved over the past several months. Anybody else excited about that? Yeah. But I can honestly stand in front of you and say for nine years in the history of Grace Community Church, I love the church more than my family. But I'm thankful to be able to stand here today and say, I'll never love you as much as I love Jordan, Lincoln, Canaan, and Grayson. It's amazing how God can radically change even the desires of our heart. Is there anybody in the place that might need to say, I need to submit to God because maybe my desires, even good desires can be off desires, right? Anybody say, I need God, help me to desire family more than the things in my life that have me distracted. Anybody convicted by that? Slip a hand up in the air. Do that publicly. Raise it high. Come on now. Let's do it. And I want you to do something real quick. We're going we're gonna to end in a different way. Gavin, is that you? Gavin got saved Wednesday night. What an awesome thing. I'm glad he's back. Gavin made a statement to me. I'm not going to give the full statement, but I thought it was so cool. I went home and shared my wife, with my wife. I'm going to share it with you. He came to me and said, I, I want to get back in church, and I finally got my license, so I'm not waiting on my family. I'm just going to get here. Oh, right? Like, am I paraphrasing that? There he said, is this your friend sitting beside you today? What's your name, buddy? You got to say that louder. I got old man ears. Jose? All right. And is this, who's this sitting beside you? Maddie? All right. You know what I love is, is this. When God gets a hold of you and truly gets a hold of you, you get a hold of somebody else. Right. Yeah. Am I right? I saw her come in. She went up that stairs and it was like a beeline over here. I don't know boyfriend, girlfriend, or friends or whatever the situation's going on there. But I know this to be true. This family, when they bring people, they get saved. Yeah. You know what I know about this family? They, before their family started getting saved, they were giving, they were cooking, they were doing things yeah. to help other people. And, and God's multiplying that. I'm telling you this right now. God will use your life in an incredible way. Don't sit back and miss the opportunity. Submission is the best decision you'll ever make. So stand with me. Let's grab and close in a word of prayer. Chris, do me a favor. Go tell that guy specifically that I said I love him before he leaves. Because I'm not going to get to. All right. We'd love to have you today. Today's sermon was not to guilt trip you into showing up. We're going to have fun whether you come or not, right? It'd be more fun with you, all right? We're going to play and, and do some things. Um, who knows? We might even have some people sing and do some stuff like that. I don't know. But I, I, I want you to understand this, and I, I want you to pray this with us. I, would you agree with me that it's time for the church of the living God to not be separated by denominations and different church names? That's right that it's time for us to start being more family. And what I mean by this is we need to rally around the gospel of Jesus Christ being the way of salvation, right? Rally around the truth of the Ten Commandments setting an example of how we should live and God fulfilling that and giving us that opportunity by putting the Holy Spirit in us to teach us how to live better. We need to come together in those things and care about people more than we care about the numbers in our seats. And we thank God for the numbers of seats that we see filled. But the truth is this. Can we pray that maybe in 2023 that there'll be a revival breakout that will take down church walls and really get us into this whole, I love being in the family of God. If we're going to live together for eternity, then let's have fun together while we're here. That makes sense? Let's like each other while we're here. No amount of grudge you hold. No amount of sin or bitterness you hold is worth wasting another moment in a hindered relationship. Let's get right with God. 
Let's go get right with each other. Amen? Let's pray. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you give us. We thank you for your love, your grace, your truth. I pray that these words will be engraved in our minds and our hearts, that someday today that, that a dad will play with a daughter or a son, that a husband will sit with a wife, that they'll come together, make eye contact, and forget about the distractions in the world, but fall deeply in love with a gift of family that you've given them. Beyond that, God, I pray that we will have men that fall in love with you, women falling in love with you, teenagers on fire for you, that our hearts will first submit at your throne so that they will be open to each other. I believe it possible. You've declared it true. I believe it's the desire of your Holy Spirit. That's why you gave us your word. And so I pray that Grace Community Church or any other church listening, watching, any other person that comes in contact with these words would surrender all to you, trust and obey, follow you. May your will be done in our hearts, in earth, as it is in heaven. We thank you, we praise you, bring us back together safely tonight. To you be the glory forever and ever. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen.